welcome to the Vivacious Living Podcast for humans that want to fill every single day of the rest of their lives with as much energy, joy, and wonder as humanly possible. I'm your host, Selena, and let's get into the show. Welcome back, everybody, to season two of the Vivacious Living Podcast. Hello. Good to be back. Excited to be back. After a bit of a break. Ah, so we're just on our morning stroll. With our doggo, Arilla. We've got some fancy new podcast mics, uh, so now that we can do our... We're a roaming talking show. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the road. On the road again. <laughs> we spent three weeks with Jai's family up in uh, northern New South Wales over Christmas and New Year's. Mm-hmm. It was extremely relaxing. Yeah, good break. Really, really good break. Refreshing. Feeling good to be back now though. Lots of new ideas, not just for the podcast, but for life. Yeah. Uh, it was just the most good. amazing house. <laughs> uh, you know, you wake up every morning with uh, ocean or river views on either side of you and 700 meter walk to the ocean beach or you know 20 steps onto the river i just love the ocean so much so waking up in the morning and having having the ocean right there yeah so calming like even being able to hear the waves lightly as you fall asleep and you know a lot of people wouldn't like that (laughs) very calming for me as a pisces And it was, you know, 27 degrees. And even Jai, who doesn't like the heat, I feel like it was pretty manageable. It was tolerable for yeah. me. I was enjoying it. I'm not sure if that was because I was on holidays, though. I, I tend to not... I don't mind the heat as much when I'm in holiday mode, I guess. Uh, but it was nice. It was delightful. Yeah. I think it was sweltering down here in Melbourne. And uh, we were having a really great time yeah. up there. Just a consistent, like, 27 degrees. Yeah. 26 degrees. And then still getting cool enough at night time that you could sleep with a blanket on. It was so perfect. That could have been because of the design of the house and the nice airflow that it allows. That's true. But and still, the, the still stands. big ass fan as well. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the actual company called Big Ass Fans. <laughs> Very creative. Uh... <laughs> Love it. If you didn't uh, pick on that, pick up on that. They do large fans. Yeah, <laughs> really, really big ass fans. <laughs> oh. So yeah, it's been a great break, and uh, we're both feeling fantastic. Sure are. I'm ready to get back into it. Got lots of new ideas. Lots of people keen to be on. First tab off the rank is our good friend Ben. We love Ben. We do love Ben. We had a great chat to Ben about his role in the mental illness field. Mental wellness? illness. He discusses the difference extensively. So we might need to put a little bit of a warning on this podcast episode as we do. does get sensitive topics. It does. We don't go too deep, but if any sort of uh, discussion around or mention of mental illness might be potentially triggering for you, then this 
maybe is not the best episode for you to listen to, or maybe just proceed with caution. It is very insightful though, um, hearing what he does and what he deals with, I guess. And um, how he's how kind he goes of, about all of that. Yeah, built up a uh, desensitization to things that most people would find extremely sensitive. Mm. Um, kind of crazy what your job can do to you. <laughs> but, um, which I think is both a good and bad thing. But uh, for him, I think it allows him to... Be better at his job. Be better at his job yeah. and help more people in better ways. Yeah. Rather than being too emotional and, yeah, not being able to help people properly. It yeah, frees him up to, to properly help. Yeah. Um, ben is uh, emotionally mature. He's a fantastic speaker. The things that we touch on and talk about are thought-provoking and interesting. Really knowledgeable guy. Yeah, and it isn't all just about mental health and mental wellness. We touch on all of the pillars as he dis discusses that they are all extremely interrelated within his field. Mm. But it's a great chat to get the year going, get the ball rolling. Yeah. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Pretty excited to be here. Yes. We went for a nice swim in the ocean. We did. We weren't uh, very lucky with the surf, unfortunately. No, it that's was okay. uh, a bit of wild weather, so it was good getting the water. <laughs> I some I'm like, I do really want to surf, but then every time the weather's shit, I'm like, I don't want to surf that badly. Like, <laughs> once you have a good wetsuit, that sort of changes the game really, because then like you're nice and toasty. But yeah. without a wetsuit, it's just absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be keen enough. Um, I said to Jai. If when we go up to Queensland, because the water was so warm there, like told his <laughs> yeah. sister that the water was 18.6 degrees and she wrote back the snowflake emoji. And I was like, <laughs> that's warm. Like, that's warm water. Everyone north of us, you know, <laughs> yeah. can't handle proper cold water. Yeah. So, yeah, if we do go up there, I was like, we should have gone surfing every day while we were there so that I could get in the habit of it. Mm. But mm. maybe that would have been worse because I would have come back down to Melbourne and been like, it's freezing. Oh. Nah, once you, once you get the bug for surfing, I think you get hooked pretty much. Like once you catch your first wave, then it sort of changes everything. It's a bit of an addiction. So yeah. probably maybe a good thing you didn't get too hooked into it. Yeah. I was saying to Jai on the way up down here that pretty much every time I've surfed has been in a lesson. Mm. Like we did, I did um, outdoor ed in year 12. So we did surf camp at Phillip Island. Oh, awesome. Lessons every day for like two or three days. When I went to the Philippines, I did lessons like for What was the Philippines days? like to surf at? They have one island, really, that's yeah. good for surfing. And you have to walk, like, over coral, like, <laughs> over, over rocks to get there. And they're, like, the, the instructors put you on the board and you're, yeah. like, you lay down. If you try to stand, they're, like, no, 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 no. Like, because obviously I had people, like, cut their feet and stuff awesome. like that. But they would have tough feet from doing it all the time. But, yeah. yeah, you're, like, surfing on top. Like, they're, like, don't jump. Like, you need to, like, lie back down. Don't jump off because the way the water is not deep and you're literally on top of rocks. <laughs> That sounds like some pretty hectic surfing, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are some spots you can get um, jet skied or like little boats take oh, you out to yeah. like random breaks in the middle of 
nowhere. That's the here. same as Bali when I went surfing over there. Like you'd pay, I don't know, like $2 Australian and then they'd take you out past the breaks and that sort of thing and then sort of just drop you off. Yeah. And then you used to have to try and find the right boat to get you to come back in. Yeah. And I remember one time I was over in Bali and I like lost my boat and then I tried to get into another couple of boats and they wouldn't let me on because I didn't have any cash. Uh, so I had to paddle all the way back in. Oh my God. It took me like far? half an hour. Like oh my God. A, yeah, it was actually pretty hectic. And then yeah. I ended up like coming onto the beach of this like really whiz bang resort. And I was like staying with my parents at this like dodgy joint down the road. Yeah. And you know, these Balinese people were just like, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm tired, mate. I just need to just let me through here. Yeah, like, I just, please. I'm just trying to get home to have a bin tank. I don't yeah. know where I am. You know, and they're just like, oh yeah, just go, go, go. And I was like, oh Jesus. My gosh. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah, it's like all well and good to be taken out to this awesome break, but then you're like, um, excuse me, yeah, I need, I need help. a lift. Yeah, that was when I was like 18, 19, so I was pretty fit then. So I was like, ah, oh, this is fine. This is good fitness. Yeah. Tried that now. I just give up. I just like, it's done. I'm over. Since they rescue, otherwise I'm going to drown. Like, this is it. Oh, get like a fluoro orange or red surfboard yeah. so that you're like a Stands beacon. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to touch on previously I was naming our pillars of health, mm -hmm. sleep, the mind, community, food, and movement, mm. but I have decided to do it rejuvenate, which is both sleep and the mind, mm -hmm. because I think that anything that it encompasses kind of like self-care in that realm of recovery is like one type of thing yep. and then nourish for both food and movement because mm -hmm. you nourish your body with both of those things, mm -hmm. and then connection for community and anything that yeah within that. So there's only three now. Cool. Same things, nicer words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would love for you to tell everybody what you do for work and kind of what led you into that career. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, I'm social work background, so that's my like tertiary education, and I work in like a community mental health team. So what that means is like I'm a case manager or a continuing care worker for people who have major mental illnesses um, or are experiencing a significant what we call psychosocial stressor within their life and due to that stressor they might be experiencing high levels of like suicidal thoughts, um, high levels of self-harm um, and sort of having that risk aspect to them. Um, and then I sort of was very lucky to sort of fall into this career field. Um, I originally started out sort of going through as sort of working in with young people like and their families and sort of an early intervention sort of thing. Uh, and then my dad actually gave me a call one day because he's a psych nurse and he rang me up and he's like, oh, mate, you know, um, and he's from Far East Gibson. I'll try to avoid naming towns and hospitals. I'll do yeah. my best and hope if I slip up, Joe, I can quickly <laughs> beat that out because I don't want to get in trouble from my current employer. <laughs> um, so dad called me out one day and he's like, oh, yeah, there's a job up here. Like, see how you go because um, I was always really interested in sort of like the pointy end of the stick as we referred to it. Uh, and then so I went up there, applied for the job and I was successful. And then I was employed in the, what you call a cat team. I think that's probably the most common term that people know. Uh, and so I was working up there for four years, um, in and out of EDs, doing initial assessments, some short-term support and sort of referring on to as needed. Uh, and then I was also over in the peninsula doing a like intensive treatment sort of role. Uh, and then now in Karaya doing the continuing care. So I've kind of been really blessed in the sense that I've done three different roles that sort of would span what we call like a consumer's journey through mental health. Like, yeah. so you do initial intake, then like the intensive stuff and then the continuing care. So yeah. sitting at the other end now, the continuing care, which is, which is really fun and yeah, really challenging on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And is what the work you're doing now, the work that you've enjoyed the most? Um, I would probably actually say I enjoyed the intake sphere more than the continuing care sphere that I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. 
Um, but I think that it has nothing to do with the patients. Like I love them across the whole um, journey, as frustrating as they can be um, or as challenging as they can be. But I think that the case managers or continuing care, like that's the hardest job because you uh, just hold space for someone who a lot of the time, like our role isn't, you know, um, it is recovery focused, but there's just a plateau where patients will get to. And so it's just about maintaining that status quo. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be really rewarding in some senses, but then other times really quite challenging to hold that space, particularly when I work with adults. I should have clarified that. Sorry. So I work with adults from 26 through to 65 Mm. uh, who will obviously make choices and we all make different choices and I've made poor choices in my own life. Um, So sometimes it can be hard to sort of work with people when they're continue to make those poor choices do you think that the reason that you're in that kind of position now like you said that work is harder is because you've been in the industry for longer and it's like obviously now you've got enough experience that you can be pushed to do that role that is challenging and important that maybe someone with less experience probably yeah maybe not be ready to do i think so but if i'm being really honest i didn't read the job description actually (laughs) (laughs) When I first applied for the role here, so I read it and I thought it was another intake role and I was like, excellent, I love intake, you know, short, sharp, really dynamic sort of work, you know, you can come in, you can get a lot of things addressed and get people out of crises really quickly and get some really good sort of stuff going and then when I applied for the job, it came out that it was like a continuing care one and a, and a case management role and uh, I was really interested in sort of moving back to the area I'm in at the moment, yeah. um, just for my own life, like life work-life balance, so... Uh, but you are right in the sense that usually people within that continuing care sphere, they are usually more experienced and sort of have a, a good knowledge around the mental health world and major mental illnesses and, this, and how it sort of operates in that system. Yeah. But, uh, but no, if I'm being really honest, I didn't read the job description. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so, yeah. What type of toll does your work take on your mental health? Um, I think, and this is going to sound... A bit odd, I suppose, but I, I truly, and I think I've sort of come to this conclusion, sort of, you know, working in the, you know, the pointy end of the stick, as I referred it to, is that I think people are sort of built for certain roles, yeah. if that makes sense, um, you know, and I feel like whether it's through my upbringing or like, um, like the old nature versus nurture sort of argument, I'm not too sure, but I feel like mental health is a field where I really fit in. Yeah. I'm really quite good at sort of having those boundaries, separating work from like personal life and not taking things home. Uh, and you know being able to give 100% at work but then if you get a bad outcome it doesn't affect me personally I can kind of go well you know that happened and that's unfortunate and sort of move on to the next person and that sort of thing Um, that being said like I have tried to be a chippy uh, and I was fired after two weeks (laughs) so I take my hats off to people who can you know do trades and those sorts of things because I'm not built for that whereas like those people are really built for that yeah so um, that's very impressive because I definitely that's something that I struggle with like if I have someone that is struggling that I should be helping mm. I take it very, not that I think that it's my fault, but that like, I think I'm extremely empathetic Mm. and I cannot separate, like that will affect the rest of my day or my week. If I'm like, this person's really struggling. Why can't I help them? Like, that's really frustrating. Like I, I really like, it gets me down. Like I can't, other people's feelings, like it works well the other way as well. Mm. Someone else is feeling great they make me feel great but if someone's down then it really brings me down i think it's worth like commenting on what you said there you know like what am i doing that isn't helping or like why i'm not able to help this person and i think that when you've been in mental health for a prolonged period the question actually shifts and it's like well 
not potentially like why isn't this person helping themselves, but that question goes away from you and goes back onto them. And so you can offer people all the supports and services under the sun. Uh, and I like the old terminology of like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I think it's always really important when you are helping other people. Obviously, you offer them everything you possibly can. Uh, but if there's something not quite right and it's not working, what's well, like, well, what is that person not able to access? You know, sort of put it back to them to take responsibility for that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, take me through a day in the life. So pretty much thinking about those pillars that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. what things do you do on an average day that address your like physical, emotional, mental health connections with other people, diet, exercise, all those types of things in a normal day? Yeah. Um, uh, I suppose again, it sort of fluctuates, doesn't it? Like, you know, so I think I have time. <laughs> you can do a, an ideal day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> I'll, I'll start with an ideal day and I'll go sort of like back to, you know, what might be not a great ideal yeah. day. Uh, but normally I'd sort of wake up in the morning, depending on the day, uh, I usually like to head to the gym either in the morning or the evening, or I have some sort of physical activity. So I really enjoy playing soccer. That's one of my passions. Um, so depending on that day, so say if it's a non-soccer day, like I'll wake up and then either go to the gym in the morning or the evening. Um, If I'm going to the gym in the evening, I usually try and do like a walk in the morning uh, and a bit of stretching. And I found that as I've got over 30, everything hurts a bit more, so. (laughs) More stretching, less gym. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you sort of, you know, the weights have gotten lighter and the stretching's got more intense, you know. Um, and then I'll usually start the day, like I have uh, some brekkie and I'll have a coffee and I sort of watch the news. Um, I just like to kick back and watch the ABC news in the morning and that nice. sort of stuff. And then... Do you have a standard go-to breakfast? Uh, I was uh, eating heaps of um, like muesli and stuff like that. And then I recently got converted across to sort of rice and tuna. So For been, breakfast? Yeah, I've been really enjoying that with a bit of soy sauce. Nice. Uh, and I found that really helps me to stay like fuller for longer at work. So it's yeah. been really helpful. Nice. Uh, and then, yeah, sort of have some sort of home-cooked meal I'll have for lunch at work. And then I'll usually have some sort of afternoon snack while I'm at the office. Preferably it's cheese and biscuits, but there's a lot of chocolate in the healthcare industry. So there's a few times where I'm just like, oh, I'll just have a couple of Snickers bars. <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> just a couple. Just a few Snickers bars. Uh, and then post-work, it'll be, yeah, it'll either be going to the gym or recently I started doing some bouldering, which I've really enjoyed, or potentially soccer, sort of depending on what's happening. Nice. Yeah. Um, Good mix. Yeah, it's not too bad. And then if I've had a really terrible day at work, it'll, I'll just be like, oh, well, like I won't do any of that like well I should say if I had a really terrible day at work I'll still go to the gym because that's my switch off time so I do like my solo workouts and that sort of stuff which I really enjoy yeah um, but if I do have a soccer sort of thing going on um, sometimes I might not go to that because I'll just be like oh, I just need to not talk to anyone and yeah. get back yeah 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 nice that's good um, do you meal prep I try to <laughs> uh, so normally I usually try and do sort of meal prepping on a Sunday um, but I found probably and I think we were talking about this earlier like the like the recent weeks have been so busy lately that it's just really hard to try and get that done yeah uh, and I'm either recovering from some sort of antics from the Saturday night so I'm not great at meal prepping on a Sunday <laughs> uh, or I find myself you know returning from Melbourne or other places like that so sometimes yeah. the day gets eaten up so I'll try and do a bit of meal prep throughout the week and um, I usually do like pretty basic meals to be honest so it'll just be some sort of like meat or meat substitute um, and then just a bunch of veggies and some rice yeah nice Do you do, do you have any like journaling, meditation, breath work, anything that you would consider like a spirituality or like mindfulness? No, not really. Um, I suppose like it's aspects that I've like been looking more and more into, like as sort of I've been getting older. Um, 
I've tried meditation before and that wasn't really my thing. Um, but I suppose it's sort of a bit of an odd thing, but I really feel at times like the gym is that space for me Yeah. because it's really, or even soccer, you know, cause it's like just reflecting on mindfulness about being in the moment and forgetting about everything else that's going on in your life. Like I find that when I'm at the gym or I'm playing a sport, like I just forget about everything else. Yeah. Like for instance, when I'm playing soccer, like nothing else matters to me. I'm like, oh, I see ball, get ball. Like, yeah. all right, how do I, what are we doing here? And, um, like even flash, flashing back a couple of years ago when I was playing that ball with Jai, mm. like, you know, when we're in that game moment, like all that mattered to me in that moment was like, all right, well, how do I defend? How do I get the ball here? Like, how do we stop this team from doing that? Uh, and so I sort of reflect on that, like that's probably more my meditation. And yeah. I find that suits me a bit better because I'm not someone who's great at sitting still. Yeah. Um, so, so I have to be pretty tired or like pretty wiped out to, to sit still. So yeah. I sort of have like meditation in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. Like, meditation with movement yeah. is probably what I'd term it as. I was the exact same. Mm. Like I've danced my whole life. And when I really reflected on it, I was like, that has always been my meditation. Mm. Like, you know, growing up, whether it's bullies at school or issues with your parents or mm. whatever, dancing was a place you go. And when you're learning a routine, you cannot think about anything other than remembering what you're doing. Yeah. Like, um, and then same at gym, you know, I do really focus. I'm not the type of person to go and just kind of like mindlessly lift. Mm. I'd be like, mm. all right, what muscles am I working? How am I squeezing them, activating them, everything mm. like that. Um, but I did a lot of research and read a lot of books just about people that are like us are the people that meditation is for and like kind of being okay with sitting still and doing mm. nothing and being able to clear your mind in that moment. So I med like it was really, really hard. I can imagine. Really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like I had to do it as a part of my course that I did. We mm -hmm. had to meditate every day for 30 days. I started wow. probably 20 times. Yeah. Like I, I, I read a book about habits to try and learn how to meditate <laughs> because I, I would start and then fall off. And even after I finally did the 30 days, I still dropped off again. But then yeah. I managed to build a pretty good routine around it. Last year I had a space I would go mm. and... Um, yeah, I was feeling really good. And then I, I still, as much as I knew that it was good for me, it still wasn't something that I ever looked forward to doing. Yeah. And then I started doing a lot of research about breath work mm. and that pretty much a breath work practice can be as beneficial as a meditation practice, That's if not cool. more so. Yeah. And I find that more engaging and you probably would as well because mm -hmm. it's there's now a a goal or a task that's being done. It's like, yes, you're yeah. sitting still, but it's like, okay, we're breathing in for four counts, holding for four counts. And then the next breath, we're going to hold for five counts and then for six counts. So it's like, mm. yeah, setting that goal and being like, there's actually going to be an outcome of improved lung capacity or, you know, um, whatever it might be. I find that I find it way easier to do. And I downloaded this app recently, actually. And, um, <laughs> It's so silly, but it's got cute little pictures on it. Ah, whatever works. Like, yeah, it's like the dot goes like up and down or in and out. It changes every day. Anyway. <laughs> so, because I'd be interested because like coming from that, like, you know, meditation with movement, like doing the dancing like you have for so many years and like trialing that meditation for 30 days through a course, you must have found some of the benefits like sitting down and slowing down to be better. I suppose probably not the right word, but the only word I can think of, like then the dancing sort of like meditation you would get so yeah like, I think the main yeah. thing that I found that I really noticed 
on those times where I was meditating consistently versus when I'd fallen off the bandwagon mm. is that I was calmer in the face of adversity, yeah. whether that is something that Jai did that annoyed me or whether it was <laughs> like something that I had done. He's that an I... angel. How, <laughs> when would he ever do something that annoys you? Or something that I had done that, you know, sometimes you do something and then you overthink it afterwards. Absolutely, yeah, of course. If I was consistently meditating, I wouldn't be so bothered about those things. Okay. Or I would be slower to react or I'd yeah. be like less phased by them. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, when I wasn't meditating, I found that I would get agitated easier. Hmm. Um, that's definitely something that I, probably the thing that I noticed the most, really. Yeah. Um, I know that if you meditate consistently, it is meant to help you fall asleep better. I don't Faster. need help with that. I'm pretty good. I'm out like a lot. It doesn't bother me. I can fall asleep in a heartbeat. So, but the other stuff sounds really beneficial. Mm, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, there's meant to be so many as long term. Like, if you can commit to it long term. And um, I was telling you before about my good friend Huberman. Yes. Yes. Of course. Yes. Um, and yeah, he was the one that I like listened to all the research about breath work, mm. and, and he still advocates for meditation as well. But there's lots of different kinds you can do: um, introspective and then extrospective. So it's like if you're the type of person, which I know you are, because you can hear your own heartbeat. Absolutely. That you're introspective. Oh. So if you actually do meditation and you focus on your breath, for example, that is mm. more introspection. Whereas if you meditated and tried to focus on something outside of you like lighting a candle and trying to just stare at the candle and focus only on the candle it would then give you a little bit more extrospection yeah and like set you off in a different way that's cool i hadn't heard that before yeah Yeah. um which yeah so it probably means i probably shouldn't be doing more breath work but in my head it's still (laughs) it's easier for me like i i find Sitting there and thinking about my breath entering my belly or my chest or feeling it in my nose or mm. whatever, I can focus on just that. But if I try and look at a flower or a candle or whatever, my mind's like, oh, look, bee. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm exactly the same. I get very distracted. I'm like, you already talk about then like the idea of looking at a candle. I'm like, oh, I would just zone out. Like, you know, like, I would be at risk of burning the house down. I'd be like completely zoned out. This candle would fall down. The fire would be around me. I'm like, oh, this is quite nice. I'm very warm right now. Like, this is quite lovely. Um, but I think what you brought out then is a really good point as well because, you know, I think as you would know more than I would, like there's so much information out there about like health and what we should be doing and all these benchmarks that we kind of have to reach. But as I've gotten older, particularly in probably the last like six years and I just reflect on like my weightlifting journey through that period, it's it's no longer about doing these exercises or these um, methods that you hate, you know, that aren't going to work for you. It's about finding one that is might, might not be like, you know, the best, and I use quotation marks, I forgot I was on audio, <laughs> uh, you know, that is recommended for your personality type and those sorts of things. But it's about finding well, one that works that I enjoy doing, that I'm actually going to commit to. Yep. Like, I think that's much more important as well. Yeah, and, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I love movement. Mm. I have never once in my life struggled to exercise. Like, yep. Even when I was overweight when I was younger, it was kind of ridiculous because I was doing karate and dancing and every oh sport that school could offer me and like playing British Bulldog with the boys at lunchtime. Yeah. Like I was so active. I love moving. Yeah. Some people hate it. And I think that it was me trying to meditate was really eye-opening because mm. I think me trying to meditate was what some people trying to exercise feels like yeah and me being like i need to do this i know it'll be good for me like knowing all all how good it is Mm. and still struggling to do it probably how some people feel about yeah exercise or trying to eat right yeah so it was a really good point so i also like as much as 
with some things like meditation, mm. I'm now like, look, I'm going to do the breath work thing because I like it and I'm going to do it every day. Yeah. And it's better than forcing myself to do the other and then I just don't do it. Exactly. And you drop off and you come back. Like consistency is the most important thing in yeah. any aspect. So. But then with exercise, because I already like it, I push myself to do things I don't like. Yeah. Like uh, when I first started going to the gym like 12 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. I sucked at lunges, especially Bulgarian split squats. Oh, I love the old Bulgarian split squats. It's now, my favorite. I love them. How good are they? I love them. Oh, I can, I can, I can lunge more than I can squat now yeah. because I was like, I'm bad at these. Mm. Means I've got a weakness. So yeah. now I need, I, I need to get good at it. I love those ones. Yeah. Nothing burns <laughs> more than that. I tell you, yeah. it's so much fun. <laughs> I love giving it to clients and then they're sore for like four days yeah, afterwards. Yeah, they can't I'm walk. Like... They see the next day, you're like, oh, man, everything hurts. I can't walk. You're like, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so what pillar of health do you think that your career falls into the most? Is there more than one? Do you feel like the pillars interrelate within your career? Yeah, I probably, with my career, I think they all relate. Like, yeah. you know, and I think um, like mental health is definitely getting much more of a spotlight, you know, uh, but I think it's really important, particularly around like the um, the pillar of like connecting or connect, like that's probably one that's most often, often overlooked through like my, probably not my workforce because we understand how important it is for people to be part of a community and have that connection and, you know, have other people within their lives. But I think it's probably the one pillar that's probably missing the most from my patients. Like that's the hardest part for them to obtain and have that connectedness. Yeah. Um, so I think all three would really interact and it's like, um, it's really hard to focus on one in particular, um, particularly because I think a lot of the patients that I work with, they might have, you know, like biological issues that are the trigger for their illness, um, you know, and that sort of relates directly into um, like the mind in particular and just all of them really like, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like you've probably heard a few people being able to specify one, but for my career, it's really all three. Um, I think that probably I've got to focus on one of the old pillars, sorry, and I'll just use the terminology to mind. Uh, like that's probably the most important pillar, like for my career and sort of the people I work with. And it's really tricky as well, because a lot of the patients that I work with, you are actually having their own mind sort of like combat against them. Um, and so it's even more tricky because it's not just, struggling to like force yourself to do things or to take breaks and that sort of thing it's actually you know your brain is actively like working against you and causing hallucinations and you know delusions and all those sorts of horrible sorts of things that yeah occur. so i think if you had to pick one that's probably the most important one for yeah. my realm is we we, we focus on getting that right and yeah then, but the other ones are just as important yeah um so probably the mind and then sleep i think are probably the most two important ones yeah. which i think fall under rejuvenate yes um so i think yeah just talking about rejuvenation like for (laughs) a little background noise going on here um yeah but so i think those those two so like that pillar is probably the most important for my career and sort of keeping an eye on that and like the first thing when you are talking to patients is one of the most important things is you know apart from the safety reasons is um is more about sort of sleep and those sorts of things so, what do you love about what you do? Oh, where to start? I was actually, um, I caught up with a fellow clinician the other day and we were having a conversation about this and um, I really like their answer, but I think my answer is better. So, <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> no, I um the I love everything about what I do. Like you know, I love being able to work with people who are experiencing a major mental illness for the first time or for the tenth time, or for people who might be just at rock bottom. Like, and I think it's a really like privileged role in a sense in the fact that you get to be there and try and you know help someone and support them through that like what might be the worst experience of their entire life. Um, and while we don't always have the best outcomes like a lot as I said at the start so like a lot of it is really sort of maintaining that status quo um, like some of the really fun parts about my job and I think I touched on in the last question about that community connection is like actually just going out to catch up with someone for like once every two weeks and you have a coffee mm. you know you have a bit of a coffee and you might talk about football with them and that sort of stuff and you know that's that's literally the hour conversation you have and like that's that's all the contact you need um and you might know the person so well that you can tell if there's some early warning signs or if there's not and that sort of thing. So you get past that really clinical model, which is a really core aspect of my job, you know, because we do have psychiatrists within the team and they have regular psychiatrist reviews. But instead of coming out and being like, you know, do you hear voices and you know, are you suicidal? <laughs> you know, do you have any serious thoughts of self-harm? You, you sort of forget all of that and you really like humanize the process yeah, and you sit down yeah. and you just like have a coffee and, you know, uh, and, you know, touching other aspects of the different pillars, like, you know, sometimes with our patients, we'll be like, we'll go for a walk, mate. Like, we'll grab our coffee and we'll go around the block. And, you know, for some of our patients, that might be the only time they step out of the house for like two weeks yep. um, because of their illness and that sort of stuff. So, Do you think um, that like a lot of the people or majority of the people that you work with don't have like close friends or family? Mm. Like, is that part Absolutely. of why you have your job essentially <laughs> uh yes and no so i think that we have our job really again sort of stepping back into that clinical role like because my cornerstone of the job is really like medication and supervision and sort of managing risk in that aspect um but i think that it's a nice aspect of the role because the majority of our patients um, won't have you know like close family and friends um, there might be fractured relationships with the family, in particular with parents or sisters and brothers. Uh, and that'll just be due to, you know, episodes of their illness where they become unwell and they might be violent towards others or they might be aggressive or they might be really challenging just in general. And obviously this is a very big generalisation, but percentage-wise, the majority of my patients wouldn't have those close community connections. Yeah. Uh, so in that height, like with that sort of mindset it's quite nice just to rock around and bring a coffee and be like oh we'll go for a walk and we'll talk about you know the Geelong cats over the weekend and how well they did and some of my patients don't go to Geelong cats which is like I don't I can't understand that view (laughs) but you know each to their own for their football teams yeah Um, yeah so I think that's probably the the thing that I love the most about my job yeah Um, and then is there anything that you dislike about what you do? And it doesn't need to be about your specific role it Mm -hmm. could be about like the industry as a whole or both yeah, I think that, and this is a really tricky one and like I sort of just want to preface this with like this is my view, uh, like my individual view or my personal and professional view. Um, but I think that one of the things that I struggle about is the amalgamation of like mental health with mental illness. Yeah. And like the community care teams at the moment have really become sort of, and they're like Victoria is trying to address this through, you know, the recent Royal Commission into the mental health and trying to develop these like health and wellness hubs and these uh, like adult mental health areas, which I think is really, really beneficial. But for now, like you sort of have mental illness and mental health sort of really combined into one. Yeah. And it's really difficult because we're just drowning. Like there's so many people coming through the front door. We don't have the staffing to manage the people that are coming through. And so 
you're sort of doing, you're basically just putting out spot fires. Yeah. And so it's really difficult to do long-term recovery work because you have so many people coming through the front door. And so I think that amalgamation, and I'm not saying that either one is less important because both are really, really important for each individual. Yeah. But like my role or what it used to be was really around sort of working with people with mental illnesses. And so that's the big, like, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, those sorts of things, or major depressive disorder, you know, things that require medication. Like yeah. that's our cornerstone is really that yeah. medication side of thing. And then we have, you know, a really significant cohort coming through the front door that requires some really intensive therapies and those sorts of things, which they absolutely require mm. and, you know, deserve to have the right to. Yeah. Um, a lot of our services and teams like can't provide that. So yeah. it's really difficult to sort of manage that because you're getting so many people coming through the front door. Mm. So I think that, that amalgamation of those two for me has been really frustrating from, you know, from the work position. Yeah. yeah. That is really hard though, because like you said, they both are important. Mm. And the fact that they're important means that they should both be equally addressed, but yeah. not by the same teams, you know, yeah. and there needs to be. And I think you probably would see it heaps in like, you know, the health industry as well and sort of through your PTing and that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of over like, not medicization, but like, you know, just over prescription of meds yep. is what I find, Yeah. you know, and like, you know, the health professionals will have people come through that are really emotionally dysregulated and those sorts of things. And so they don't know what to do. So they start on these medications, you know, might have some really horrible side effects and those sorts of things. And the, the unfortunate truth behind that is we just don't have the resources to allow them that space to ventilate properly and access, you know, therapy services. Yeah. And so then it puts that person back because if you have those medications, they actually interfere with your therapeutic interventions yep. and those processes won't work as well for you as if they would if you weren't on medication. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're just chasing your tail some days, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, these poor people are just being left in limbo. Like the patients are the ones that suffer the most. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And I think that it's something that comes up all the time, not just with mental illnesses, but also with all sorts of other illnesses, mm. like the amount of times that people are misdiagnosed Yeah. because a doctor doesn't outsource. Like mm. doctors need to know so much. Oh, it's so hard for them. But there's specialists for a reason. And mm. I just feel like any moment that they're like, look, I'm not sure, they should just go, you need to see X, Y, and Z person mm. for this because I don't know enough or I don't have enough time or whatever it might be. I think that it's really difficult. Like um, my mum was actually telling me the other day something I didn't know. Her, um, when she was trying to get pregnant, she had endo. Oh, yeah. And so the doctor that she went to initially was just like, oh, just keep trying. You'll be fine. Mm. And then she finally like couldn't get pregnant for years and then finally went to a different doctor and they're like, oh no, we need to clear your endo up first. You're not going to be able to get pregnant while you've got it. So like, like years of time, like yeah. heartache and the whole stuff, like, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And like, that's just one instance but that type of thing happens all the time in across so many different things but yeah it is so hard but in the the um course that I did they have a podcast as well mm. and they do speak in one episode about how a lot of well most of medical training is spent on um diagnosing illnesses and then prescribing medications mm, mm. so it's based on helping people that are already sick yeah but not around promoting health to avoid illness yeah or to absolutely. improve like yes if someone is having um, some mental health issues some things that they can do that might put them on the right track without needing medication mm. and that's not to say that you know better sleep better diet more sunlight so better important. connections are going to stop 
problems, but mm. they may help. And well, and it's such an undervalued like you know first couple of steps. Like you know people come into you know your general practitioner or something like that, and they might be like, oh, I've been feeling low for a couple of months, and like nothing really excites me anymore, and I don't like you know blah blah. And so usually what happens is the first thing they'll just go bang, here's an antidepressant, mm. come, take this and come back and see me in six weeks. Yeah. You know, and our service might be like, well, hang on a second, like especially if they come to us rather than the GP, well, whoa, whoa, whoa like. Get a blood examination. Let's talk about your vitamin D. Let's talk about your iron. You know, what's your routine like? What are you, what what are you doing? Yeah. One of my um, psychiatrists, she's recently from Scotland. She had this really good, uh, like process to start the day, and she's been telling all of our patients, and I absolutely love it because it's pretty much like, what do you do when you first wake up? I'm like, oh, I sort of you know turn the telly on, and I might have a coffee. You know, I can't really wake up for the first half an hour, and she's like, nah, scrap all that. Like, you need to be outside. Yeah. And you need to have direct sunlight. It's so important to have direct sunlight early in the morning. You can't get this through windows because certain windows, like they block something. I have to get her to tell us exactly what it yeah. is. But just that sort of, you know, breakdown and that step by step. Yep. And then I think like even, you know, expanding on that at the moment, like if you look at Victoria, like recently we canned the 20 sessions for a psychologist anyway. Yeah. So that's all being cancelled. So then you've got to try and access, you know, different therapeutic interventions, either, either out of pocket or there's like months and months of wait lists. Yeah. And in that meantime, like your mental health just tends to snowball and like gets a lot worse. Yeah. And like I recently started going to see a therapist, which I've really found really, really helpful, like yeah. trying to address all the aspects of my own health. But for me, that's $140 out of pocket. Yeah. And not everyone can afford that. Yeah. Like, you know, we've all got really tight bills and everything's like, you know, going up in cost and that sort of thing. Um, but it's almost like you've got, like we're sort of talking about this systemic breakdown, unfortunately. And it's just a lot easier for people to be like, oh, take a tablet. Yeah. 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 It's really hard. Mm. And um, yeah, I find that like as well, I, um, I actually had a early termination in 2020 oh. and um, I wanted to go talk to somebody about it. Mm. But um, when I went to the doctor to be like, give me a script or not a, a Men, referral. A mental to go, health care plan. Yeah. yeah. Um, they give you like a little questionnaire that's like, you the know. The K10. Yeah. How's your energy or what are you having yeah. feeling? And I was like, I'm like, I'm okay. Like, you know, I'm not having suicidal thoughts. Mm. I'm not like struggling to get out of bed or anything like that. And then they just like, too bad pretty much. Like, you just go find your own person and pay for it. Well, and then so. my old housemate at the time was just like, just lie. Go in there and tell them you feel crap. Like, yeah. just... Because, like, yeah, everyone should have access to that. Absolutely. Like, and, like, that's the unfortunate nature of the system at the moment, isn't it? Like, it's you need to be right at the end of the pointy end to get any sort of support, yeah. which is just not how it should be in any, like, society. Like, yeah. it's wild. Like, yeah. You know, you, should you shouldn't have to... to get to that point. No. There should be assistance all the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also hard because I think that the lifestyles that most of us live now you do have like a TV in every room of your mm. house and we can sit down in a chair all the time. Like we have convenience, you know, food gets delivered to our door, yeah. like, and all of these things like previously, like hunter gatherer, if like even farmer, you know, mm. not that long ago, if you wanted to eat, you had to get up in the morning and go out and pick your vegetables, mm. find food, physically be active that's the first two things already. You're moving yeah. your body, you're outside in the sunshine. Absolutely. We don't have to do those things anymore. We have to force ourselves to do them so that we can feel good rather yeah. than be like, oh, I'm just going to get up and do nothing and chill out. You'd be like, 
well, you know, it's it's self care. I'm doing the yeah. Yeah, yeah, as well yeah. now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to take it easy on myself mm. and you know have it have a chill day or whatever. But you actually feel better if you're a little bit hard on yourself. Absolutely. Like, you know, getting up and going outside and exercising isn't the path of least resistance, but when you do it, you feel better. <laughs> yeah. And if you do it consistently, you feel better for longer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, is there a common misconception about your job? Anything that annoys you? Or? Um, I think it probably touched on a little bit before, which is like really that, that amalgamation of like mental illness and mental health, you yeah. know? And, you know... And we talked a little bit about sort of like the over-medication of, of people. Like when you're working with people with major mental illnesses, like they do require medication. Yeah. Like if you have schizophrenia or bipolar or any of those sort of illnesses, there's, and like I won't delve into because I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't give like full, you know, of, of the different types and those sorts of things. But generally speaking, like if you have that illness, you will require medication to, to be okay. Yeah. You know, um, and even then the medication usually... Well, I shouldn't say usually, but with my, my cohort that I work with, like that'll simply give you symptom reduction, not resolution. Yeah. And within that, you know, sort of medication side of things, like it does have a significant amount of side effects and so which can be really quite horrible. So, but I think that that's probably the misconception is, that, you know, when you, when you say you're in mental health, people think, oh, like you work with someone who might have, you know, some, some moderate depression or, you know, some anxiety symptoms and stuff like that. Yeah. When it's actually, well, no, the people that I work with, you know, they hear voices. They see things, you know, they, they truly believe that, um, you know, angels are coming to save them or they're coming to burn the earth and those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, or you might have people that have had really serious suicide attempts, you know, by hanging, overdosing, whatever it might be. And so you're working with those people on a daily basis to generally try and keep them alive Yeah. Um, to try and help them develop the skills and the resilience to sort of keep going and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably like the biggest misconception about my role. Yeah. 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 It's probably, yeah. yeah that sort of stuff. So this question is um, probably a little bit hard to address, but maybe you can think of a way about it because I, it's, is, is there a piece of health advice that you would give to people in regards to your, your career? But maybe it could be something that you have like learnt from your job or your career that you could give to more gen pop like people maybe. I don't know. You can take that question um, however you like if there's something that you've thought about in regards to that. Um, still be interested to hear kind of what what some advice that you would have. <laughs> you can just, it doesn't have to be related to your career. Like if you just have some advice that you think is good, you can just tell us. <laughs> um, I think oh, it's like, it's really difficult, isn't it? To sort of drum it down into like one single sentence and that sort of things. If I could say anything to like just everybody is like, just don't be so hard on yourself. I think we as people can be just absolutely brutal on ourselves and like we're our own worst critics. And this is probably, you know, like a sort of just gen pop sort of stuff. And I think we've all had that. One thing I really enjoyed actually just going on a side note is like that. And I think a lot of people would have seen it because I know mental health has been in the spotlight for a little while now, but that sentence, and I think it goes along the lines of like, you know, would you say that to your best friend? And yeah. if you wouldn't say it to your best friend, why are you saying it to yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's probably that aspect, try not to be so hard on yourself. And then, I think a lot of people, I know this is probably again just more personally rather than professionally, but I think a lot of us, myself included actually, struggle with like boundaries mm. and that might be in interpersonal relations, that might be in like friendships, partnerships, whatever. For me recently, I've been trying to have more time away from my phone because 
it sh- uh, I won't swear, but it, it, it frustrates me. It really frustrates me how we always think that we need to be immediately on call. Yeah. You know, we have to reply to messages like then and there. And, you know, you can't take the time to be like, oh, I've got a message. Yeah, I'll reply to that person in a couple of hours. Like you feel like you're like, oh, they messaged me. They've seen that I've seen their message, whether it's Apple messaging or Instagram or whatever it is. Yeah. And you're like, I've got to reply to them immediately. Mm. And it was re- through a really good friend of mine recently because I was in the habit of apologizing for it. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. It took me so long to get back to you. One of my friends who's got better boundaries with this sort of stuff. I was like, why are you apologizing? Yeah. You know, like you have your own life. I'm asking you like what you want to have for dinner two weeks from now, mate. Like you don't need to stress so much about it. Uh, So I think that connectedness with the phone um, and that sort of idea that we need to be so accessible. Yeah. Accessible and connected, you know, like we don't need to be, Yeah, you know, and I don't have that view of any of my friends like if I were to message you I wouldn't expect you to get back to me like then and there yeah even if you saw it be like ah oh, sweet she sent my message like she'll get back to me when she's ready yeah you know that sort of stuff yeah and I think that puts a lot of stress on people like myself included because you just start to get you feel overwhelmed and people have a tent like have your attention all the time yeah um so so I think that's probably a good message I, I hope <laughs> yeah yeah I definitely think that um setting boundaries is mm. something that a lot of people struggle with in like mm. a Society where everyone can kind of see, if you want them to, what you're doing all the time, you yeah. know, whether it's an Instagram story or a Snapchat video or whatever it is, it's like people can be nowhere near you, not even live in the same country and know exactly what you're up to yeah. at, at any given moment. There's a lot of pressure to either like be a certain way or reply to messages in mm. a certain time or um, be yeah, perceived in a certain way or be perceived as happy or be there for people or whatever it might be, I think everyone has an idea of what other people expect of them, Mm. but it's what you think that they expect of you. It's not what they actually expect of you. It's like this fake thing that we've all created in our head where there is like if none of us are that hard on each other, we're only like that to ourselves. So it's... It, yeah, if we all just chilled out a little bit in that regard and did set some boundaries and were open about them, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, cool, that's no worries at all. Like, Yeah, <laughs> and I think that flows onto another really good point, which is like about communication because I think a lot of the times, and this is something when I was younger now, I'm getting a bit older, like I think I'm better at is like being able to communicate effectively with others and that has actually, when I was younger, like I would be so worried that I would say something to someone else and it would offend them because yeah. I had, like you were saying, I've this made up view of like what they're wanting from my friendship, yep. you know, and then these days I'm like, oh, like, you know, whatever it might be, you know, and the person's like, yeah, of course, man, no worries. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah. why didn't I do this 10 years ago? I could have saved myself all this stress. Yeah, exactly. And I like, um, I am a really honest person, which is something that I have had to work on, like mm. some people don't want my brutal honesty at all times. I love like, brutal honesty. I froth it. Absolutely froth it. Me too. Yeah. Because um, like I want people to be brutally honest with me. Like yeah. if I've done something to offend you or upset mm. you, I'm your mm. friend and I want you to tell me so that I can be a better person. Yeah. I don't want you to just kind of like be annoyed at me behind my back and hold this small amount of resentment towards yeah. me forever. Like get that shit out, yeah. you know. Um, but it is something that I've tried to work on and try to gauge like what people do I need to be a little bit more careful around mm. with what I say. Mm. But then you also get to a point and you go, 
maybe those aren't my people. Like well, that's another good thing, you know, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, there's a line of like being polite and everything like that, but then yeah, if I'm gonna be really honest and you're gonna be really honest with me, I'm gonna prefer our friendship over someone else's that I can't be my hundred percent self with, you know? Absolutely. Not everyone is for everyone. Mm, and that mm. is okay. There are billions of us on the planet. Yeah, and... I, we can always make more friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a really good moment, I think it was like last week where another um, one of our friends had sort of come up to me and they're like then I'm going to be really brutally honest with you. And I was like, I love it. Like, <laughs> come at me. Tell me what's going on. Like, be absolutely savage. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. And the person was like, ah, thank God. I knew you'd be able to take that. And I was like, yeah, perfect, man. Like, 100% dig in. Yeah. And it was really, really nice. Like, it was just like, dude, delivered something. And I was like, yep, i got to reflect on that. I think you're absolutely 100% correct. And thank you for not dancing around it. Yeah. Like, I'd much prefer, like, 20 words or less, short, sharp, succinct, and honest. Yeah. Than someone who dances around stuff for like 20 minutes because then I get annoyed and I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like, just tell me what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had experiences where people have told me things and it does initially, sometimes you're like, damn it, I did do that yeah. and that did suck and yeah. I'm really sorry. And yeah. then you feel annoyed at yourself for a little bit and then you go, but I, it's okay now because I can grow and I can be better next time. Exactly. And then you're really grateful to that person that they told you. Yeah, because imagine if they didn't tell you and you kept making the same mistakes and like offending everybody and yeah. then five years down the track, someone's like, oh, we hate that about you and you're like, why did you tell me? Yeah, exactly. I could have worked on that years ago. Yeah, yeah. I could have been a way better person yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what impact has your job had on you personally or what has something that your job's taught you maybe that you didn't expect? Uh, I think actually just even continuing on from where we last sort of started, like being that brutally honest person, uh, my job doesn't allow for the option to dance around things like yeah. you've got to be black and white you know when you are working with people that might be highly suicidal you can't be like you know do you have any thoughts of harm like that's not good enough like are you going to kill yourself mm. you need to tell me right here uh and so i think that in a, a lot of ways like it's really helped me with my communication in my interpersonal relationships because it's really like shrugged off that fear it's like while i've spoken to people who you know have thought about killing themselves who have unfortunately gone on to complete that act you know so now when I'm like talking to someone about my feelings I'm like well that's fine I can talk about this yeah you know? yeah in um, comparison it's like yeah know. well to be fair sometimes talking about your feelings to the person you might have a crush on that's that, <laughs> that at times can pretty much feel like more intimidating than asking someone if they are suicidal um, but I think that's really probably six years ago when I first started working in psychiatry like I was probably not as direct as I am now and probably not as brutal as I am now. And I think um, yourselves and probably some other friends can like, if I've someone's done something I've got an issue with, I'd be like, hey, I've got a problem with that and this is why. Mm. But, I'll, I like, but I like that approach and I like the fact that I'll hit it on the, the nail on the head and not have it stew on me for weeks and then have it come up later in, you know, like some people, not on the I know, but can sometimes stew on it and they explode like after six weeks of being really yeah. frustrated. It's a really small thing and sets them off. Yeah. Um, so no, so I used to be, uh, like very much, you know, probably a really big people pleaser, like, you know, really worried about what my actions might do in terms of hurting other people's feelings. Mm. And like, I still have that mindset. Like I don't go out to try and harm anyone else in terms of hurting their feelings and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it, I am much more comfortable with who I am and really honest about, like, well, this is who I am. And like we sort yeah. of spoke about before, like, you know, if you don't like me, who I am, like, that's fine. That's your view. No dramas. But maybe our friendship isn't going to last as long as we thought it yeah. would because I'm at that stage now where I want to be able to be myself with my good friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah. And I think in some, that aspect and then in other aspects, it's probably made me like 
quite emotionally tough as well because you see so much stuff. Mm. Yeah, so a little bit desensitized to be completely honest. Yeah. Uh, so there's like a definitely an aspect there, you know, some pretty heavy stuff can happen and I'll be like, oh, well, move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then so you do get a bit concerned about that in the long term as well. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Mm. Like I'm like, I cry at the drop of a hat, like the Olympics will be on and I'm like bawling my eyes out. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely wouldn't be able to do your job, that's for sure. Uh, oh. But like maybe if I sat there for a day, it would help me be a little bit more <laughs> tough. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. But yeah. if you, you put on like a TV show like Marley and Me or something like that, I'm tears. Can't yeah. deal with pets or animals <laughs> yeah, like that's no, when I start crying. So sad. The first movie I ever cried in was Chicken Run. Um, Chicken Run? Yeah, they when they find the bottom of the poster and realise that he can't fly. Oh. And it's like raining and they're all standing there like <laughs> oh. I was like trying to work out like what the sad bit in Chicken yeah. Run was too. I was like, when was there like a sad moment? My whole life flashed before my eyes. It was really boring. I love that movie actually. Takes me back to being a kid. Oh. Um, no, I think that it's um, setting boundaries and like being able to be yourself and being able to not be a people pleaser is so important because at the end of the day, you should be the most important person in your life. Absolutely. And sometimes it's hard to say that and people think that that is selfish, but it's not because if you prioritize yourself and then you'll be able to help everyone else around you Absolutely. better. Like, yeah. you know, if you are the most rejuvenated, connected, relaxed, mm. Mm. well-slept, well-fed version of yourself, not only are you going to be a better person in your job, but to your friends you're going to be more motivating mm. to the people around you. Like it just and I think serves no one to not be true to yourself. Absolutely. And I think like you were saying before, which is another really good point, like there are so many people out there, when you get to be that person, like you attract other people who have the same ideals and the same worldview. And then like it might be one of those moments where, you know, you like you have a really hectic social calendar and then like one Sunday you'll just call up your mates and be like, no, nah, I can't make it. I'm having a, like a me day. I'm going to go do all this sort of stuff. And you may just go, yeah, of course. I get that. I understand. Yeah. You know, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah I'm probably going to do that next Saturday. Like, yeah. <laughs> I won't be coming to your event then. See yeah. you later. Like, have a good one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lovely. So what is the biggest struggle that you personally have had to overcome in life and what has it taught you? Oh, it's been so many. Um, I think, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I sort of, I, I don't know how to put this. It's not exactly my bad run. But, you know, I had a lot of deaths like they were really close to me. So I had a friend's suicide. Then I had two friends die of cancer, like pretty close together. Uh, one of those people like I grew up with and like I was at like Andrew Love when he got the terminal diagnosis and then sort of drove him and his partner back to um, East Gippsland. And then like I was there when he died as well, like in the, in the room. Um, and so I think like that really was probably like one of the hardest parts of my life and you know, you have all those sort of questions that I think we all do when people die quite young, you know, you're like, well, why that person and why not these other people and that sort of stuff. So you can get quite angry and quite bitter about it as well. Um, so I think processing through that grief and sort of, you know, accepting, which I think really helped develop who I am now, which is very much like the world is what it is and that's not a bad thing and you want to try and do the things that you want to do, mm. you know, and I, I respect people who have the view that they want to work for 30, 40 years and then do their travel and that sort of thing. But I think having those struggles when I was younger and that impact and seeing people who were 18, 21 and 24 die, um, you know, that sort of gives you a good, 
kick in the ass, I suppose, and hopefully Jai can beat that word, <laughs> uh, to really just push you forward and to try new things and to push you out of your comfort zone and yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Don't waste any time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And to, I think as well, accept that things will happen. Yeah. 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 It's a hard, it's, it's um, horrible to have bad things happen to you, but it's the um, hindsight and the reflection that you mm. go okay, what did I learn from that? Like, how much stronger has that made me? You know, mm. it's it's the tough things that I think teach us the most, mm. you know. Um, yeah, it sucks to go through them, but on the other side, it's like, would I have changed what happened? Probably not. No. Like, you know, yeah. it, does, it does all happen for a reason if you can have the introspection to yeah, exactly. think about it. But I was going to talk about, if you don't mind me, like stealing no. it through that. So I was going to talk about, because I was thinking about that question and I was like, like obviously we have these really intense struggles that do define us and like, you know, change our trajectory, I suppose is a good way to put it. Um, but then I've also had like the flip side of that where I have these really beautiful moments with friends and family, yourselves included, where like that has just been like such a positive moment that it's really changed my trajectory as a person as well. Yeah. And uh, like, I, I know that people will like remember things differently and some people remember with conversations and other people remember with images and I'm a person who remembers with images. And so I feel very fortunate as well because I do have these moments like just burned into my brain, you know, where there's really positive and beautiful things are like sitting there. And um, like those moments, as much as the struggles, but those moments I think for me are more defining as a person in my life. Yeah. 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 That's nice. It's good to have those as well. Mm. I think sometimes like, um, you know, what led me to be a personal trainer was that I was bullied for being overweight when mm. I was younger. And I did have this moment when I was 29. This is, I used to listen to this podcast called uh, Almost 30. Yeah. And um, it got quite spiritual and I kind of stopped listening to it. Like quite not to, quite woo-woo, like, yep. you know, aliens and everything like that. And I just kind of, not that, like, I don't find it interesting, but it was just kind of all that, whether it started off with, like, health and business and then it was all just, like, anyway, less of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have this thing that they talked about called a Saturn return. And apparently, like, um, Saturn only comes back to the position that you were born in after, like, 29 years. Oh. And so I was just having this, like... It was funny because I looked into it after I was already having these thoughts of like, am I in the right career? Mm, yeah. Like, you know, what would I be doing if I hadn't have been bullied? Like, is this actually where my life was going, what I should be doing kind of thing? Um, but to be like, well, I actually love what I do. Yeah. Like, and I've always been, regardless of the bullying, a type of person that loves movement and exercise. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it just made me a better personal trainer because I'm more relatable to people and um, can understand where people are coming from mm. and I'm more passionate about it because of what happened to me. So yeah. um, it's it's nice that you can focus on the, the positive yeah. as well because sometimes I think that I get more caught up in the, the, the bad things that have shaped who I am more so than the good sometimes. Can I ask a question then, if mm. it's okay? And mm. you don't have to answer this if you're not comfortable. But like when you do think about your current like PT and health and well-being like uh, career at the moment, when you reflect on that, do you still reflect on the stuff that happened to you as a kid or do you reflect on the good things that you've been able to put in other people's lives? I definitely think more about the good Excellent. now. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. yeah, you know, it's been a long enough period of time that whilst I know the reason that I do what I do, it's mm. not like something that I look back on constantly. It's yeah. like, yeah. 
um, even in the interview that I had the other day for, I suppose I could share here, my new employee, Joey, <laughs> um, saying, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> we have covered a lot. Reflecting um, in your career as a PT? Yeah, being able to... Just Um, being able to share with him mm. some of my wins as a personal trainer, yeah. the people that I've been training for a long time, the things that they've been able to achieve, whether that is improved strength or they didn't need to get surgery on some part of their body that That's was huge. super weak or, yeah. you know, people come to a personal trainer usually for weight loss mm. and I love it when I can help them with something that's, in my opinion, a way bigger deal yeah. because I think that how much you weigh is the least important thing about you. Mm. And if I can help you, like there's one girl I train, she's a wedding singer and oh, she nice. used to struggle to put her um, big um, speakers oh, yeah. up on yep. their stands and she's like, I can do it easy now. Like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, no, that's, that's such so a good win, good. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that stuff so much. And yeah, that's definitely what I think about now I don't, I don't yeah, think about yeah. the... I always encourage people to like focus on the positives because I do find, particularly in my role, like in my job, my career, you have a lot of people come to you and obviously they're in a really bad spot. So they'll be talking about, you know, the deficits and I can't do this and I can't do that. And I still remember this woman to this day and I, I couldn't remember her name even if I wanted to, but I was talking to her in the emergency department and she'd come in and she was like highly suicidal and, you know, she was, you know, really upset and distressed and she was telling me about all these different things and one of the things she mentioned was like you know I'm one of these people that never checks like to see if my car's got petrol or not I never know if I need to fill up I just kind of go with it and that sort of things and I'd spend like 60 minutes with this woman you know you think you're doing this great life coaching and you're giving the really good tips and that sort of stuff and I can remember because I'd spoken to her after this initial like assessment and at the time I was like do you ever run a petrol she's like well no and I was like well what's the problem mate I'm like move on what's the matter yeah and so I caught up with her like two weeks after that she was going really really well and I was like out of curiosity, I was like, oh, like, what did you take from, like, our interaction so I might be able to provide, you know, some better support to others in the future? And she's just like, oh, you told me I didn't run out of petrol, so I didn't need to worry about things too much. I just feel like now there's all, you know, talking about, you know, how important it is, like, you know, to make yourself safe and family connections and all this therapy sort of stuff. Yeah. And that was the thing she took away from that. And I just remember having this really good laugh with her. Uh, and then just, like, feeds into another random point that, you know, sometimes the these big points that we're trying to get across to other people, like they just pick up on the stuff you might even think is a throwaway comment. And yeah. they're just like, that's the thing for me. Yeah, yeah. I lost it's, it when she told me that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting how different people like learn, listen, mm. pick up on stuff. Whether, yeah, I like Jai's really good at teaching people because if, they don't understand one way that he said something. Mm. He will say it a completely different way, use yeah. a different metaphor, a different a analogy. Skill. Like, um, yeah, and that's what you need to do. Like, there's some things that people have been told constantly their whole lives, whether mm. it's in relation to their body weight or their mental health yeah. or their relationships with other people or, you know, it's like you will never be able to do this or you'll always be like this or mm. whatever it is. And then you just need to give it to them in a slightly different way way something that they may have to heard a million times before and they go oh yeah like that makes person. sense now. yeah, yeah. like like oh you don't need to worry so much and people are just going what do you mean i don't need to worry yeah. so much like you're stressing who, me out telling me not to worry you're like but i've never run out of fuel oh yeah i have never run out of fuel <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, that's not something you need to focus on at the moment. Yeah. you never run out of petrol so you're fine yeah oh that's great so 
Finally then, and maybe we'll think about this in terms of the five pillars, okay. um, but which pillar of health would you think that you personally struggle with the most? So food, movement, sleep, the mind, or community? Um, I think probably food. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like I um, you know, was brought up in a household where like the food preparation was never a really big deal uh, and sort of you know, healthy eating was never um, something that was really high. Well, at the time, we thought it was healthy eating, but as I've gotten older, I'm like, that was not healthy eating. Yeah. Like, you're not even close. Uh, and then I think because at times with all of us, like my life can get so busy that I, food is probably the first priority that drops off that list. Yeah. You know, I always maintain my physical activity. My sleep's always really good. Um, I always catch up with friends, you know, and all those sorts of things. And I try and, you know, utilize my mind as much as I can. Uh, but food would definitely for me be the one that drops off the most. Yeah. Uh, which I think as I'm getting older, I'm getting much better at it because I, I can recognize that, you know, you can train the house down as much as you want to, but you know, what I want is like longevity and, you know, like really like a healthy body when I'm 60 and 65, like I still want to be surfing and you know yep. going on hikes and those sorts of things. And the key to that is really like, obviously exercise plays a partner, but it's really healthy eating. Like that's yep. the most important thing, you know, managing your cholesterols and your energy levels and, you know, not binging on KFC and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> there's a finger being pointed dry there i don't know what, i don't know what that's about um but i think that yeah so that, i think that healthy eating and i think that there was this illusion around healthy eating when i was younger that it was really hard to do like it was mm. so difficult to make and if you want to be healthy it takes hours of prep time and all those sorts of things when sometimes it's actually quicker than like unhealthy food yeah yeah and it's yeah. even easier like, yeah um i also think as well these days um if you don't care about waste it's so easy because mm. there are pre-packaged salads of every variety yeah. at the supermarket. There are pre-chopped vegetables for mm. stir fries. Like it's just so easy to grab a bag of veggies. You can buy your chicken or your meat already chopped up as yep. well. Seasoning like, the whole thing. Yeah. You yep. just put it all in a pan like that. Ready in five minutes. Yeah. Even the rice comes in a bag yep. that you can cook in the microwave for 90 seconds. Yep. So, you know, not that I'm advocating for that method because obviously bulk buying things and not buying <laughs> your salad in bags is better. Much better but, for us and the environment. Yep. But if the choice was takeaway or packaged vegetables, vegetables and, yeah. and stuff like that that would be the better option mm. and it is easy so mm. yeah it is definitely more accessible now because i don't think they had all that back when we were kids even nah, no no well, i don't I've think got so. a lot of frozen frozen vegetables which tastes like nothing yeah, yeah. the old um like <laughs> like the tiny like carrots and peas and stuff yeah. like that like they come through those yeah, yeah. i say that all the time yeah <laughs> yeah no, so i think yeah so yeah yeah just food i think is my biggest issue so i need to work on that but yeah getting better at it yeah I think it's hard to nail all five of the things all at the, mm. at all at the same time. And sometimes usually like your food might pick up, but then something else might drop off. Yeah. I feel like I've only ever interviewed one person that's been like, none of them. I'm smashing all these pillars. And I was oh, like, who's that person? That's outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gemma, actually, who's going to be doing the nutrition at the next Vivation. Oh, she's a nutritionist, yeah. mate. That doesn't count. Yeah, but still to be smashing all the other pillars as well. Like, that's pretty impressive. Like, it is most, pretty good. Yeah, most people are like, yeah, I'm good at all of them, but, you know, I don't do anything for my mental health. Or, you know, they're all good, but um, my sleep's not great. Or, yeah. There's usually one. There's yeah. usually one that people will be like, yeah, you're right. I probably could work on that. But she was like, no, I'm doing great. I'm smashing all these pillars. And I was good like, on her. Yeah. Like, we should all aspire to be like Gemma then. Yeah. Try and get to that point where we're smashing all five pillars. Yeah. 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 
I think I try to smash all five pillars and get burnt out because. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, well, that's, that's usually what happens to me too. I'm like, no, nah, I can't do this. Like, like a one week, I'll be really, really good and I'll nail everything. Yeah. And then like the smallest inconvenience will happen. I'm like, ah, bin this. Like I'm sick of it like this. I'm gonna eat a pizza. Like, yeah. Give me a takeaway pizza. That's what I want. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's something that I have learned about food as I've gotten older as someone that has struggled with their weight mm. like for a really long time I did not eat carbs I was like oh, so obsessed carbs. with being um fit and lean mm. that I was like nope I'm like yeah just never had rice or potatoes or bread or wraps oh. or anything fun and delicious they're the, <laughs> like, best, they're the best parts yeah, of food no. but I would I would still have like I would make myself like a protein peanut butter cups mm-hmm. or like protein bars or something like that. Mm. So it's still having like dessert type things, yeah. but not carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I love carbs. I don't know how I did it for so long. I don't know how you do and, it. Carbs are like yeah. my like primary no. ingredient to everything I eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like bulk carbs and then some veggies and then maybe some meat. Yeah. yeah. Jai came home from work the other day and he had a wrap and he didn't bring me one. How rude. That's pretty rude. But I made my own wraps from scratch in like 20 minutes. Do you reckon? About that long? Um, yeah, just, uh, literally flour, a little bit of oil and water and that's then cool. like ground it out, fried it on the pan and then made my own wrap. It was so good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. See, if you said to me like, oh, Ben, you need to make your own wrap. I would just implode. I'd be like, what? <laughs> Where do I even start? Can't I just buy one? Like, I can't make a, I can't make do this. I'm not a baker. I don't know what I'm doing. I felt so proud of myself yeah, though. Were, I was just like, this is how I want to live my life. I want yeah. to make my bread and wraps from scratch so that I know there's not like random preservatives and stuff in them. And they're yeah. also not coming in plastic. I was yeah. like, this is superior living. Like I am well, peak human right now. Absolutely. And it's also like smarter and better financially because if you ordered wraps from like Uber Eats or Menulog or whatever, yeah. I like... Um, they would take longer than 20 minutes to get there. Exactly. So you're like, you've already made your own wraps, you've eaten it, and you've been better, healthier, and cheaper. Yeah. And better like, for the environment. Absolutely smashed it. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. Everyone make your own wraps. No. <laughs> <laughs> the recipe will be in the bio. Yeah. <laughs> no, but then, same as you, like, that was like one day, and yeah. I'm like, I am peak <laughs> achievement in life. And the next day, I'm like, I'm tired, I'm going to eat pizza, I'm going to order it, yeah. I'm not going to get up, I'm going to walk 10 steps to the door. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, that's, the balance, that's the balance. That's the balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you got to have like good days and bad days. Yeah, that's, that's the most it. important thing. That's it. Life has ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming on the pod. Nah, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we leave today, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation the traditional carers of the lands, waterways and skies, which we are able to live, learn and move on. We respect their elders, past, present and emerging, and the deep spiritual connection they have to our country.